Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we continue our Best of TOS series as we review a season two episode of Star Trek, the original series, Return to Tomorrow. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies, Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, man? I'm I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to talking about this episode. Awesome. Sauce. glad to have you back, man. And also there in the Ready Room Studios, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I am doing good, man. Doing good. Glad to be back as well. Hear all of you guys' wonderful voices. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Ready to chop it up, as they say, as the cool kids say. And also on the podcast, we have Cal Jones. How are you doing, sir? You know what? I think I'll keep the positivity going and say also that I am glad to be back, glad to be talking to you guys, and looking forward to discussing our return to tomorrow. Yes, and our return to TOS as well, as we've had a few open channel episodes released on the feed. I hope you guys have been enjoying those as well. So in our news and updates section, I think John might have some news to talk about. What do you got, man? A couple of things. Number one... We have a, I don't know if any, everyone, I mean, surely everyone has saw the Picard trailer, but on Sci-Fi Wire, they pointed out something that I missed and I'm surprised I did. And it could hint at a Deep Space Nine connection. So on the table, as it's kind of scanning around Picard's holographic office, there's a Bajoran Reckoning tablet hmm. laying on the table. Now, it's a stretch to say it's a connection, but I mean, why would that be there? So that for anyone who doesn't know, there was an episode in DS9 where Cisco was obsessed with studying this ancient Bajoran tablet and something urges him to break it open and it releases the prophets and the Paraths, which in turn causes the wormhole to open and all that good stuff. So. That's just a neat little bit of information there. Hopefully that's saying we'll get some DS9 references in Picard, maybe. Yeah, I was thinking it'd be really cool if they just used Picard as the opportunity to tie in all of the 90s stuff. <laughs> yeah, that would be very awesome. I couldn't wait for that one. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping for some kind of DS9 tie in somewhere in these new episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Next is um, the... GLAAD Awards, which are the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, had they issued Star Trek Discovery an award for their, and I don't know how to word this exactly, but basically they were being recognized for their inclusion of the gay and lesbian culture. Uh, you know, we have Colbert and Stamets, and then they also included the non-binary character so they've been recognized for that achievement so i think that was a good thing to do yeah yeah kudos kudos and lastly but not least i don't know if we talked about this but there's a massive push for lavar burton to become the new host for jeopardy <laughs> there's even a petition that now has enough signatures to be submitted to whoever is going to be in charge of that so please go sign that petition because that would be awesome would it would it though would it uh, would it not <laughs> It's the reading rainbow guy. Who's yeah. better? I want him to do more Star Trek. I don't want him to do Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> but I totally get it. I totally get it, man. <laughs> but that's all I got. 
All right. Uh, well, we'll move right along into our review of Star Trek, the original series, Return to Tomorrow. Return to Tomorrow is the 12th episode of the second season of Star Trek. It was written by John T. Dugan and directed by Ralph Siniski. It was first broadcast on February 9th, 1968. The Enterprise is guided to a distant, long-dead world where survivors of an extremely ancient race existing only as disembodied energy desiring the bodies of Kirk, Spock, and astrobiologist Anne Mulhall so that they may live again. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Cal Jones, what do you got for our beats of the episode, sir? So I'm going to go a little bit meta with it. So here we go. Take one, take two, both dudes alike. But why not a lady take three? Instead is taken someone new and benign, likely to keep the censors aligned. This face we see, we'll see again. No fault, I suppose. It was the time. I'm trying quite hard to keep my rhyme. Yet what I notice may go unseen, but the hats of green now complete, we can all now say to all, oh my. I'm not sure I understood any of that. (laughs) (laughs) It has to do with, uh, we'll we'll probably get to it because it has to do with one thing that I saw as a problem with the story. So that's that. But uh, the oh my is, you know, Sulu was back. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Cal is becoming quite the poet. Thank you, sir. I don't know, man. As he gets more meta, he starts to lose me. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, you will understand when we get to that. Oh, with that said, let's go around the horn and get the high level views of this episode. And let's start with you, Jonathan. What do you think, man? Oh, man. So here we go. I. It was okay. Mm. I struggled to stay awake to watch this episode. Wow. That being said, I'm very much sleep deprived, so that probably had a lot to do with it. But I'm also a very avid Trek fan, so usually sleeping through Trek is never an option. So, I don't know. It, it, it started good, and then it stopped. Wow. Jeremy, what do you think? Well, I left my hate at home tonight. I actually like, enjoyed the episode. Um, I, on the second viewing, there was some, like, a few nitpicky things that, that kind of bothered me, but not enough to, like, affect how I liked it. But I, I, I enjoyed it. Cal Jones. I'm somewhere in the middle because I could not get over something that is part of my meta thing that I just said just a moment ago. But we've often said you have to review these in the time that they were made. And in the time that they were made, I think they pushed boundaries as well as told a very cerebral, no pun intended, story. So for that, I give them kudos. Did I find it as enthralling, as entertaining as some of the others? No, but that's no fault of the story. Maybe it just wasn't my taste. But as far as the story goes, I think they pushed boundaries. And again, kudos. Wow. 
I'm going to have to get you guys on board, man. Because I absolutely love this episode. Love, 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 love. First off, it has one of the best monologues in all of the original series and maybe even Trek in this episode. The musical score, which normally I pay no attention to, was fabulous in this episode. We got sort of a, we use meta in this episode already, but sort of a a high concept story of, of this being that's godlike. So I loved all that. That was very um, Trek, Trek centric to me. And I feel like everything they were going for just pushed all of my buttons. Of course, there was some hammy acting. You know, it got shattered up. We got a few minutes of or a few moments of some very um, extreme acting. But man, I I love this episode, dude. I really do. So we're going to have to get into it. Hopefully I can get you guys on board. So something or someone has attracted the Enterprise attention to unexplored territory, which we find is three weeks away from from uh, Starfleet headquarters by subspace message. And the Enterprise approaches that planet. John, so uh, this first question goes out to you. Is this dead planet typically what you think of when you think of a M-class planet? I guess no. I mean, usually when we in Trek, when you hear M-class planet, it's usually teeming with life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's been an occasion where there's been an M-class planet and everything was dead. I mean, we, well, it wasn't a dead planet. The humanoid life on it was dead and gone, specifically in a Voyager episode where they killed themselves. But I, I, it kind of threw me for a loop because I was like, mm. M class, and I'm expecting, yeah, there's going to be a population and all that. And then he said, it's a dead planet. Well, can you technically call it M class? Yeah. And I think this is one of the things they hadn't really solidified on as far as Trek, because, yeah, they definitely said it was M class, but dead. And normally in Trek lore, uh, M class uh, planets are inhabitable, whether that be by artificial terraforming or whatever, but the planet should be inhabitable to be M-class. And in this case, it's not, but it used to be. I usually expect it, and like, I, and I could be totally wrong here, but usually M-class, I figured how they say the word, Mancurian class or whatever the case may be, is usually classified by the atmosphere. Yeah. So if there is no atmosphere to speak of, then you can't classify it as an M-class. Then it's a demon class. Why? Mm, yeah yeah well no well why had an atmosphere but it was not breathable so So before we get down to the planet and i guess i'll throw this to maybe cal like what are your first thoughts on this disembodied voice we get speaking to kirk which we come to know as sargon any any thoughts initially on that Mm, no not really it was i don't know i just thought of it as a voice that he was hearing i didn't really have anything that really stood out. I know that doesn't help answering your question, but no, well, no unfortunately. No, that's fine. That's fine. Well, he does point out some things as far as he calls them children, and which it feels kind of weird. Even Kirk points it out. Um, and he even makes a statement that if you let me perish, then all of your, all of my children, all of mankind will perish, which, you know, sounds very weird at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, another part in there, I think there's well, let me just say this. I feel like this episode was filled with funny stuff. <laughs> and um, actually, Sar- well, Sargon says to Spock, your probes have touched me, Mr. Spock. I just. 
<laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. Like several moments in this episode, I just bust out laughing. That was like the first one. So you know when I when I heard this um, like ominous voice, like my first thought was the uh, what's that gate thing we talked about? The oh the uh, the uh, uh, wow fever gate. Yeah, I, I was yes. like, maybe it's that. And then it started talking about like my children and all that. So then it kind of took me back because the one thing Trick never really, really touches on, touch on is like religion and yeah. specifically Christianity and the belief of a God. I mean, maybe we touch on species that believe in a God. And this was kind of so I kind of thought they were going that way. Like maybe this being thought to be maybe thought it was god you know but then they didn't they didn't go that direction obviously but that was my first thought well interestingly enough um that's they kind of allude to that a little bit later in the story that you know our ancestors our people could have been your ancestors in that kind of sense but um and i got this off of memory alpha there's a line that's thrown in there from i think nurse chapel which kind of um kind of th- debunks that a little bit because at this time, as you mentioned, the story of his time, Cal, it, it, people would have been a little up in arms by saying, you know, this alien is where we came from and not God or our religious mm-hmm. figures. Mm-hmm. So, right. so they did kind of spin it a little bit with a line from nurse chapel in this episode, you know, and it goes so far as I'll add just a little bit of that. The writer actually used a pen name because Roddenberry went back and changed some of his script. And so he used a pen name for the episode simply because of that. Yeah. And I think another point, too, is because um, at the end of the episode, they go on to oblivion. And I think the original intent was for the two beings to just like roam the universe as spirits. And he didn't like the script change there as well. So uh, <laughs> I know we want to have our big three to always go on the OA missions. But this time, Kirk makes the right decision by saying, Spock, you stay on the ship because both of us don't need to go down. But then, oh, here comes Sargon. I need Spock, too. <laughs> that, that just felt like a too, too, it, too convenient for a reason to bring them all down to the surface. But I guess it worked. Yeah, and the setup was kind of fishy. You know, this, like it was just, it's, it was a setup. Like he decided not to go, and what changed his mind was power was lost on the ship and Sargon never said I did that because I want Spock here. They just kind of assumed it and decided. And that was kind of outside the norm. Yeah. A hundred percent. Oh, John, I did want to point out that the voice of Sargon is Scotty. Really? Yeah. I read that as well. Uh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. It's interesting. Interesting. <laughs> So we get to the transporter room and, you know, our big three is there, uh, two security officers. And then this officer that we have not seen, a Dr. Ann Molehill, astrobiology, shows up saying that she had been summoned as well. So, Cal Jones, do you want to tell us about Dr. Ann Molehill? Yep. That's my issue. You, I'm glad you pointed that one to me. That was my issue, not with the actress at all. That's not, believe it or not, that's not my issue. But my one, take one, take two, both dudes, but why not take three for the lady? So you take two of your main characters, um, Spock, 
you take um, Kirk. To me, logically, storyline, you would have taken Ahura. She's on the bridge. She's a main character. But time that this was created, here comes the white woman, and she has to be the one that goes down because you've got a kiss scene later. And that's what kind of irritated me with the whole story, and I couldn't get past that. See, only you would see hmm. that because I did not <laughs> notice that at all. Now, to to uh, Maul Hall's defense, she is higher ranked than I mean, they may have created her for this episode, but she is higher ranked than uh, Yuhira, which makes no sense. Uh, obviously, it makes no sense. But she's she's the highest ranking officer to appear, a female officer to the, to appear on TOS. Period. So, so let me add this: if it had been Nurse Chapel. I don't think I would have noticed it, but the fact that you created this one-time only character is what just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And then I kept having to say to myself, this is early, you know, early to mid sixties. Think about where you're at. This is before the Batman, Eartha Kitt, Catwoman kiss, blah, 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 blah. And I kept having to go back to that and think about it. But that was my problem Hmm. with the episode. So I took it as the, I, I, I get it. And I do, I mean, now that you pointed out, he kind of got me thinking about it. But I originally took it because they make a comment that they chose the three best bodies on the ship. They were looking and we needed, they needed a female and they wanted the best representation of a female on the ship. So Kyle, do you want to tell us what else is interesting about the actor who plays Dr. Ann Mulhall? I will be glad to do that. Okay, so I do know she makes one more appearance, I believe, as another one-off character in the original series. But she goes on to replace Dr. Beverly Crusher in season two of The Next Generation as Dr. Pulaski. Yes. That's why she looked familiar. Yes. And that's why I freaking love her character on this. Aside from Kyle's problems, which you do have valid problems that I did not, I didn't even notice that in the episode. But, but again, like John said, not that you said it makes sense, but it made me like Pulaski, man. What I do like about this, whether or not I am a big fan of the Pulaski character, I do like the fact that Trek can do something that we've even seen in Doctor Who, which is characters appearing in one generation of the show can come back, whether it's the same character, whether it's a different character altogether, and return to the franchise. And it's cool that she did come back as a completely different character in her own right and, you know, was around for series two or season two of The Next Generation. Yeah, and when you think about it from the aspect of people looking at the next generation like, oh, this is not my trick. Now, I don't know how many people tied Dr. Pulaski to being this character, Molal, from this episode. But it's certainly like throwing a bone to the TOS. No pun intended. Throwing a bone to the TOS crew people to be like, you know, we, we're, we're still trying to we, we're paying homage. We're paying respect to what came before, even though it's a different character, you know. So, I mean, for me, it just made me really really respect Pulaski and I take back all the crap I ever said about her, man. I really do. Cause, cause this, this is awesome. It's freaking amazing. I wish I'd have known this before. I feel like I'm the only one who liked Pulaski from the beginning and not just because she did this. <laughs> yeah. 
She <laughs> she was annoying to me, no doubt. But again, like again, like knowing that she was on TOS, if you really look at her bedside manner and the way she acted, it's kind of a throwback to Bones. Cause cause she's very True. she acts very much like Dr. McCoy on TNG. And that just makes me respect the character even more. So I'm I'm there with you now, you, Jeremy. You know, as I as I'm I'm watching Voyager again and you know, now that we're talking Pulaski, I'm kind of thinking how much, and just my opinion, she, it feels like Janeway is like a mix of Janeway and the doctor on Voyager. Hmm. Like her, her, the way she carries herself, the way she interacts with the crew. I mean, she has kind of that command to the point feel of Janeway and like, and like that bedside manner of the doctor almost. Yeah, it's, it's very much a throwback in her straightforwardness on TNG. And that's probably what put me off to her, to be honest. Well, well you know, and another thing, when she took over the role, and I mean the actress, when she took over the role, I'm sure that there was a directive at some point that she received that said, don't act like Beverly Crusher. You need to be different. You're a different character. Let the audience see something different than Beverly Crusher. Don't come in and take Gates McFadden and try to be that same character with a different name. Yeah. And to her credit, she she was totally different, whether love yes. or hate it. Yeah. So we get to the planet. We find that Sargon is housed in an orb, uh, pure energy matter without form. Sargon rever- refers to Kirk and his crew as my children once again, you know, doing that thing. So we talked a little bit about the Adam and Eve thing, um, but, but as a more general question, do and I thought this is Jeremy. Like, do we really like it when science fiction, in general, tries to explain our history? And I know Stargate does this a lot. So, what what are your general thoughts on science fiction trying to explain our real world history? I like the different takes on it because I mean, it just kind of like if you're not a particularly spiritual or religious person and more of a science based person, it kind of puts a you know, a new perspective. Like maybe this is, maybe this is actually what happened. Maybe we are the descendants of, you know, the ancients in, in Stargate or, you know, the other, the other world, the other worlds out there. So, I mean, I, I like it. I enjoy it. Yeah. Any, any thoughts from anyone else on that? Mm. I think I will add, I'll, I'll follow up with what Jeremy said. I like the fact if it's done respectful in a sense. And what I mean by that is don't, pick on any one religion and right. to the other degree don't favor one religion but if you present a broad view i think anything that makes us think and makes us think about things i think is a good thing so well i mean if you can do it without involving religion and just you know pure scientific you know fact this is the way it is not you know this is how it is in the Bible or the Quran or whatever. I think that just works out better. Yeah. Because like you said, you're not insulting one religion for another or, you know, forsaking one, you know, somebody else for to make somebody else feel good. So I think well, you know, you're just purely scientific or just purely fiction. You know, Which I think, I think is what Stargate did. You know, they did a yeah. very good job of, in my opinion, presenting it as science, not as to religion. That right. a lot of this stuff was based on, but I know I'm digressing, but, but yeah, I agree with you. And that, again, that goes back to my first observation. I, and 
I was, it just kind of made me pause because I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Because, you know, you just don't expect Trek to really dig deep into it. It's not that they say it's wrong or right or true or not. They just say it it was, you know what I mean? And, it, and they never really mention, you know, what became of religion through this time. And, and they don't say it's gone, but they don't really say it's there. Right. But when they got to this point where this being kind of the initial conversation kind of led off to be godlike, it just kind of made me like, oh, how, how, how are we going to do this? How is this going to work out? And then you think about like the time this was made, like, yeah. You know what I mean? It it wasn't such a big issue to throw religion into entertainment then, especially the Christianity. Christianity, like that was a prominent thing in a lot of shows. So and I was just kind of curious to see where they were going to take it. It was going to be interesting, but I also kind of expected a bumpy ride. Yeah. But they kind of went they took it the way Star Trek normally takes it as this is basis of fact in our past. And then they just kind of left it there. They didn't really yeah. dive into it. And, and and like we said before, to possibly appease the various groups, they kind of alluded to it. And Miff, they don't know for sure. They think it could be, you know, right. they kind of threw it out that way. And even Spock says this, this could be how the Vulcan civilization evolved. But Sargon does make the comment about the ultimate crisis that when they destroyed their planet, when they dare to think of themselves as gods. So they do kind of think that they're gods, a little G, I guess, but uh, which is just interesting, interesting. But, you know, a highly advanced civil- civilization. Um, so S- Sargon enters, enters Kirk's body. Oh, man. Now let's get into it. Cal Jones. Mm. Uh, <laughs> William Shatner's acting when Sargon enters his body. Thoughts. Yeah, I thought that was the early stages of Mad Cow. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Yeah. You, sir, win the night. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> but, but seriously, I mean, can you say overacting? I get it, you know, a different time, blah, 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 but Mad Cow. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it, too. It was cool. It was cheese. It was cheesecake. It was a whole shipload of cheesecakes. But, you know. Long fill with air again. Heart pumping <laughs> artery blood again. Mad cow. So but, I, but was it not? I think we've kind of come to, I kind of come to expect this type of acting in TOS. And I don't know. It's just something reminded me of stage play. Like this was just a big stage play. Yeah. And if you think of it that way, it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think a whole lot of people really watch Star Trek for the acting so much as the story. I don't know. I do. Like, that's one of my biggest things with Trek is like the actors are so talented. See, I think Jonathan hit on something in the saying of when this was, because, you know, what is this, 1964, right? No. 68. Okay, well, it was just a few years before that that we had Susan running around on Doctor Who going, oh, grandfather, grandfather. So, I mean, you know, all their melodrama and all, this is still that age. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say that 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 Shatner scene is not the worst scene in episode. The worst acting in this episode is unfortunately from Yuhira. <laughs> oh, <God>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that scream. Oh, my God. 
and it made it worse that they cut directly to the screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like you look, it cuts directly to that face and that scream. Oh boy. Yeah, that was that was unnecessary. Good. Unnecessary. Oh my god. But man, I just I just love Shatner hamming it up, man. I just I was eating it up hook hook line and sinker, man. I'm I'm up here in my apartment doing his moves. <laughs> so great, man. man. But I think that I was just telling Jeremy, well, the best part about this episode was Leonard Nimoy's acting. Yes. Ooh, well let's 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 get into that in just a little bit. So we find out that Sargon wants bodies. He wants bodies. We have these three orbs left and they need bodies. They they want these three bodies in order to build humanoid robots to house their minds. So I, again, we're, go, we're going to get to Spock. I know we want to talk about Spock, but I have to ask the question. If they're so smart, if they're so evolved, why hadn't they already built these android bodies before they jumped into these orbs at the end of their age? I don't it. If they're so advanced, they can build a. And a, a ship engine the size of a, a walnut. <laughs> All right. So let me answer it this way. If they were as evolved as they say they were, then why are there only three of them left? Another good point. Because they destroyed themselves because they thought they were gods. But but you see my point. Yeah. They, you know, it's it's that that pride comes before the fall. They think they're all that, but they just don't have the bag of chips. Mm. Hmm. Maybe. Well, I mean, even even Kirk kind of said that. He's like, maybe you guys were not as evolved as you thought you were. Yeah. Yeah. Which he kind of was taking it out. He wasn't in the same perspective. Like, they've already overcome what humans overcome. But still, the point remains. Look what situation you're in. If you're so evolved, then you could have avoided this. But I get it. Like, I think humans would have made, well, not would have, will or can possible make the same mistake and we're very smart but i don't think we're smart enough to create a fallback plan for the biggest mistake we'll ever make <laughs> yeah true so i mean i think they just kind of like it was too late like they, oh crap we destroyed ourselves let's hurry up and save ourselves into this orb and then we'll try to fix it later and it was also said that there were hundreds of light years away from anything that any other ship has been to yeah so they hadn't had a chance to really try to do anything else. Yeah. And we find like when they get into the human, human, the humanoid bodies that they start to deteriorate those bodies, elevate a heart rate, a high rate of metabolic function, and they can only be in there for a short, short time. So, <laughs> so we cut the Scotty <laughs> back on the bridge in the covers room. <laughs> He's like, you're going to what? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this is so many funny moments and you know oh you're right in the head so um <laughs> dr mccoy is the voice of reason here and he's asking the question why and kyle jones we talk about the doctor moment in doctor who all the time to me this speech was just self's kiss perfection um I, I loved it. Did, what did you think of Kirk's speech for the reason why we would take such a risk? Any any thoughts on that generally from any, anybody, I guess, but you can leave yeah, us off, Kyle. Um, I will say that this is one of the reasons why we have 
the next generation. And what I mean by that is, you know, yes, it's 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 in the 60s and people say, you know, it's dated, but there are certain things in this series. And the, another reason I am enjoying going back and watching some of these things for the first time is seeing some of the reasons why we had Star Trek in the 80s. We still have Star Trek in 2021. So, um, yeah, I thought it was good. And that's my two cents. Yeah. Um, for me, it's just like the words he uses. He says, risk is our business. And I think and, you know, you, you think of the 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 mandate uh, to boldly go where no, no man has gone before to seek out new life. And I think it's kind of lost on us today in today's trick, because if you think of the periods of that going out and seeking out new life and new civilizations, you're going to have uh, TOS, Enterprise and TNG for the most part. But once you get into DS9, you know, it's a totally different thing. We're on a space station. You get into Voyager. We're trying to get home. You get to um, Discovery and we're just trying to survive the war. You know, it's and I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that from Discovery to where they can get settled enough to where the mission is again to seek out new life. Now, I think we're going to get that from Strange New Worlds. But thus far in New Trek, we haven't really got much of that. Mm. And I, I think that's just kind of going to the whole episodic nature of trick and whether or not they go back to it and from discovery trailer and picard trailer it didn't look likely yeah it looks like this overall arc that we're going to go through and maybe we'll have some small side tricks no pun intended that it's going to you know give us that brief view but i don't see it happening hopefully strange new worlds will take us there though yeah yeah but but you know, again, Kirk is saying we must point out that the possibilities, the potential for knowledge and advancement is is equally great. So uh, to be a ship out there on the fringes, y- your your job is risk by nature. And, you know, when you're in a world, you're not fighting a war. You're not trying to get home. You have that's pretty much what you're doing, risking yourself every day that you're out there further and further. And again, like I love the score. I mentioned the score before, but the score in this little section in different parts of the episode, I just think were fantastic. So they being the receptacles aboard and proceed with the transfers. So, John, you talked about Henoch. Let's talk about Henoch class Spock in this episode. What did you think about Leonard Nimoy getting to let the guards down and be emotionally filled, devious character in this episode? Man, I absolutely loved it. Like, if you want to talk about acting, like I feel like Leonard Nimoy and that character would have fit just as well in Discovery. Like, you know, we talk about the corn and the cheese of the acting in most of these episodes. And, you know, we usually write it off to it's just being like a sign of the times. But Leonard's, Leonard Nimoy's acting was beyond his years. Like that, I, I, there was no cheese in it. Like even... We've seen a few scenes of him kind of leaning against the entrance of the door talking <laughs> yeah. and like that was perfect. That was it. It looks like he's done this like currently in our acting environment currently in the 2020s. Like it was just awesome. Man. And then just to see that Vulcan exterior dropped and let him kind of just explore his acting. That was great. Yeah. Jeremy, any thoughts on Hinoch in this episode? Well, you know, I'm going to agree with Jonathan here. That's probably one that Leonard uh, Spock's acting was probably the best part of this whole episode. 
because he was just so out of character for Spock while still maintaining some kind of Spock essence was just spot on. It was just great. So, I mean, I mean, 100% agree with Jonathan. Yeah, there were so many um, nods to the series that were kind of underlying things. So when when Henoch first wakes up, he compliments Nurse Nurse Chapel that says, you know, she's the most beautiful thing to wake up to, which I'm like, oh, you gave her a compliment. <laughs> and then they're actually bond or in, he's inside side of her body at the end of the episode. But yeah, I mean, obviously Enoch turns out to be a jerk or Enoch turns out to be a jerk, which I just thought was great to see Spock uh, or Leonard Nimoy be able to 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 do all that. And he wants to permanently steal the human bodies, which, um, you know, if I had the choice of an android body or a real physical body that that has, you know, emotions and, you know, you can feel and touch, I probably want the human body, too. So I can't say I blame him too much on that. And again, like I said before, knowing that they're so powerful, I just I would think it would be plausible for them to build better bodies than one that doesn't have touch, especially when we had iMud a few episodes back. And those people had those those are Android bodies. Now, I don't know if they could feel in touch, but they were very advanced Android bodies that looked a lot better than what we saw on their table there. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. Where's Bruce Maddox when you need him? All right. <laughs> Well, I, I'll throw this to you, Jeremy. Like, what did you think about the general deception of Enoch and uh, how he pretty much enticed Alyssa to go along with his plan? Uh, any general thoughts on that plot point? I mean, it, it wasn't a surprise revelation to me. I kind of figured something was going to happen. You know, it can't all be, you know, wine and roses. Um, I mean, it was it was OK. It just didn't jump out at me as a ooh moment. Even the part when Jim's body was dead. I mean, he's the main. He's one of the main characters. He's going to come back. It's just a matter of, <laughs> right. it's totally it's just a matter of, of <laughs> seeing how he's going to come back. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Any other thoughts? Um, I will say this: I did appreciate the disembodied voices when they've inhabited, inhabited these bodies, so I could tell you know who who was inhabited and who wasn't. But at the same time, it was kind of throwing me off because my little nitpicky OCD. It was like, how can their physical bodies make this disembodied voice like they were in the orbs? Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just, there's just, there's that. Good point. Good point. Um, so, Android body slash the Enterprise. <laughs> were you guys shocked when Sargon entered the Enterprise? Not really. I was kind of wondering why wouldn't they do that? Yeah, I just I kind of thought Enoch or however you say his name was going to be the one to do that. You talking about at the very end or just in general? Just in when he was trying to formulate his plan to kill off Sargon and all that. Like I, I kind of thought he would probably and like get himself into the ship systems to kind of help that plan instead of mind melding with the nurse. Yeah, yeah. Now. I was I was a bit shocked that the lost the Lessa the Lisa um I was a bit shocked that she was that that uh she was almost turned you know what I'm saying that he knocked almost was able to get her on board with his plan you know even to the point where she attacks Bones at the very end uh, and she gave she pretty much gives Bones an offer he can't refuse like if you want Captain Kurt's consciousness to get back in his body 
you need to do what I tell you and let me let let us have these bodies. So I was I was a bit surprised that Enoch was able to pull her along, but obviously she makes the right decision and Sargon was just giving her a test all along to I guess prove her loyalty, I guess, but <laughs> I don't know, but I lo- I loved all that. So any thoughts on the final showdown? You know, part of my problem with this episode is it I mean, outside of Leonard Nimoy's acting and the funny moments, it was very much you you knew what was gonna happen. Like there was no shock, there was no no twist that I didn't kinda see coming. So it, it, you know, it went as, as you thought it would go and it just kinda therefore kinda dulled my interest. So I'll I'll take it actually in just a slightly different way. While I didn't see that Coming at the end, I did see, you know, well, there's three of them. One of them has to be bad. I, I did kind of expect that. And if nothing else, let's go around and get ratings. I would say I got a five for this. So, um, Jeremy, what's your rating on the episode? You said out of five. Let's, I'm going to go with a three and a half. I mean, it was, it was good. It's probably one of the better GOS episodes I've seen. But, you know, like I said, there was a, the plot was just kind of, to me, predictable, but the acting was really good. All righty. Jonathan, what about you, man? Uh, I'm going to have to give it a 2-5. Uh, just just for the fact that it just let me down story-wise. Not that it was a bad story, but it wasn't that good. Like, it was very predictable, and therefore it just kind of left me uninterested. All righty. Kyle Jones, what about you, man? All right, so I'm going to give it a 3.5 and say that while it wasn't my favorite, I do like the fact that it used a character or an actor that we will see again. All right, man. Well, let's let's get what everybody's been working on, podcast related or otherwise, what you're listening to, watching, whatever you are into at this point. John, what what you been into lately, man? Uh, man, other than working, uh, I've just been watching a lot of Voyager. But there's one thing I wanted to point out because I was watching... Uh, as I'm going through Voyager, uh, there's the episode Good Shepherd. What I've noticed watching it, it's a perfect call out for Lower Decks. Still not saying I'm going to agree with watching Lower Decks. But, I mean, if you kind of take that storyline, if it wasn't for Janeway being in it, it would have been a Lower Decks episode. Like, it was the lives of those particular characters were very uninteresting had nothing to do with the larger part of the ship operations wasn't quite as important uh it was more comedy than anything Janeway realizes there are crew members that seem to have kind of fallen out of the crew falling to the wayside yeah like there just don't really seem there's like this one guy that works like they had to transfer power and it kind of showed this was kind of cool. So Janeway issued a power transfer, which went to Bellana. Bellana issued it to this guy that had to walk it down to the turbo lift and go down 12 decks to deck 17 and to give it to this other guy that took it to power junction 17, <laughs> which was like a little closet in the middle of a computer room looks like. And there was this guy studying some kind of relativity concept that initiated the power transfer. And he just had a bad attitude. They, and I think it's kind of started with Seven kind of giving a crew evaluation and the efficiency evaluation. And she was just saying how these particular crewmen were not producing like they should. So Janeway found herself going to visit and visit them. And she realized she really didn't know them. Like she didn't even know how to get to that 
junction <laughs> no more, whatever. That's funny. <laughs> so she decided to take them out on an away mission, and and then of course trouble ensued and all that. But the the general point of it was it it kind of introduced you to the lower decks of the ship that we never really see anyway. Yeah. And it matches perfectly with the Lower Decks show that we watched. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I have to check that one out again. It's been a minute since I've seen that one. But I remember it being good now that you kind of reacquainted me with it. So, yeah, I'll check that out, man. Cool. All right. Jeremy, what about you, man? Um, Well, like everywhere else in the world, we are so short-handed at work that I've just been working like a madman. I haven't been watching NCIS. Still trying to... I'm about halfway through what's available on Netflix, so... Awesome sauce. And that's going to be it, guys. Uh, thanks for joining, everybody. You can hit us up on at Discussing Trek on any and all social medias or fans at DiscussingTrek.com. We really appreciate and value your feedback, and we just thank you for being engaged. Always, you can leave us review on whatever podcasting platform you may be listening on. Thanks for joining once again, guys. And until next time, live long and prosper. Listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Adventure. Your traveling companions are fellow fans of Doctor Who. That's right, it's the podcast Discussing Who, exploring the worlds of Doctor Who, past, present, and future. Find out more at discussingwho.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. <laughs>